The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning to read at verse 35. It'll be up on the screen behind me, and it's on page 1015 on the Bibles in the pew. And if you've got a large print, it's on page 1623. Mark 10, verse 35, the request of James and John. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do, he said, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's just pray for a moment. So, Father, in your name we pray. Come and fill our hearts today. Give us ambition to live for you and glorify your name. Amen. So our son Andrew is getting married in July, which is very exciting. The preparations are underway and there are a few obstacles to overcome. From our experience, one of the most sensitive is the seating plan, who sits where. Can you imagine how much time Pippa and James would have invested in that yesterday? Well, you put the right people together and you can create wonderful new friendships, even romances. You put the wrong people together, you can open up all sorts of old scores or condemn people to an evening of crushing boredom. <laughs> We've all had it. This is a passage about a seating plan, but a rather more important one. So what do you think about the request of James and John? Bit cheap? Bit cheeky? Out of order? Naked ambition? Well, who would you think of if I said, tell me somebody who is truly ambitious? You might think of Julius Caesar, or Macbeth, or Donald Trump. Now, ambition of itself is not bad, 
You might also think about a school child who wants to be a doctor or an astronaut or an Olympian. It depends not so much on what you seek, but why you seek it, how you plan to achieve it, what will you do when you get it. And I suppose my whole theme this morning is about being encouraged to be ambitious for the right things. Now, the word comes from a Latin root, which is ambiri, which means to walk around. So you might think, what on earth is walking around got to do with ambition? Well, in the Latin context, it means walking around for votes, canvassing, which is incredibly prophetic, don't you think, given the circumstances we're in today. So that's where ambition comes from. And because it's associated with votes and therefore power, it teaches us we have to be very wary of it right from the outset. Now, there are lots of pictures on the web about ambition, and I chose a couple that I like, so here's the first one. <laughs> like that? Next one. Bit cheesy, that. Next one. It's clever, that, isn't it? Rather cute. And here's my favourite. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? A pawn dreaming of being a king. Now, for some people, ambition is knocked out of them at a very early stage by discouragement. And there may be people here for whom that's true. You know, you're told, well, you could never be an athlete. You don't have the physique. You could never be anybody important. You don't have the brains. So they settle for being a pawn. They settle for being a pawn. For some people, it's life who knocks ambition out of them. They have setbacks, they have illnesses, things don't go the way they want. And they settle for being a pawn. It's very human to be ambitious, and it's very human not to be ambitious. Very human to be ambitious, very human not to be ambitious. Some people, it seems, will stop at nothing to achieve what they want, and other people simply never get started. Now, the Bible talks a lot about ambition. Indeed, it starts in the Garden of Eden, where we meet Adam and Eve, and they were ambitious to be God. That's why they wanted the apple, and that didn't work out very well. And then not soon afterwards, we meet Jacob and Esau. You remember the story, at Rebekah's suggestion, Jacob dresses like his brother Esau in order to get the blessing of his father Isaac, who is dying. And Jacob and Rebekah are very ambitious. Isaac, the father, is fooled, and Esau is very angry. So that's not a good place to be. And there are lots of other stories in the Bible. Solomon was ambitious for wisdom. Ruth was ambitious to serve her mother-in-law. The persistent widow was ambitious for justice. The pharaohs were ambitious for public honor. And I'm sure you could think of many more, not just in the Bible, but all around us today, in sport, in media, in work, in the church. Ambition 
is rife. And if we have the right ambition, we can transform ourselves and others around us in wonderful ways. And if we have the wrong ambition, we can do immense harm. Now, I really believe God wants us to be the best we can be. As Mike often says, God is for us. He's for us. John 10.10, he wants to give us life in all its fullness. He wants us to thrive in our studies, in our work, in our relationships, in our lives. That's why he made us. And because of that, I want to encourage everyone, me included, to be the best we possibly can be. And you know what? The world needs that. The world is in a bad state. And each of us, in our own way, at our own front line, can make a difference. No matter how big the challenges may seem. But back to our reading. So Jesus is walking to Jerusalem with his disciples. And on the way, they meet a blind man. And Jesus heals him. So that the blind man can see clearly. The one thing we know about this journey is... At no point did the disciples see anything clearly. Now, three times Jesus predicts his own death. And in this, the last time, he could not have been clearer. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will mock him, spit on him, scourge him, and kill him. That's pretty clear. So what was the response of James and John? Please, can we sit next to you in your glory? It's hard to think of a response less appropriate. At this, the most sacred moment in Jesus' revelation, ambition and self-interest takes over. So what's going on? Can we just go on to the next one? Oh, we've lost it. doesn't matter. It'll catch up. Well, what's going on firstly is the seating plan. Now, earlier, earlier in the ministry, when they were at Capernaum, the disciples were having a big argument about who was the greatest. And Jesus knew that. And in response to Peter, he specifically said, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you were a disciple, what did you think? I am a follower of Jesus. I am therefore going to get one of the 12 thrones. Of course. Well, it wasn't true, but that's what they thought. And you can understand why. The issue is not whether I'm going to have a throne, but where do I sit? Hence the question, and ambition took over. Secondly, they simply didn't understand that this was not a conversation about our world, about power and status. It was about a new kingdom of suffering and death. Now, Peter was cross about James and John's request. He was very cross. He wasn't cross because... Their question was so inappropriate, 
He was cross because he thought he was being cut out. Remember, Peter, James, and John were the trio who were very close to Jesus. They were with him at the Transfiguration. They were with him at the Garden of Gethsemane. So when Peter heard this, he thought James and John were rather nakedly trying to make the big three the big two. And it would be Peter who lost out. And even Peter, who was therefore most offended by the conversation, could not see what was going on and could not understand what that new world was. Until, of course, he was in the courtyard and the cock crew three times. And thirdly, this is about a different kingdom. Or you might say, be careful what you wish for. Jesus doesn't rebuke James and John. He asks them a question. Are you able? He asks them a question to help them understand. Jesus, in doing this, implies that James and John have invited themselves to a very different place than the one that they imagine. Are you able to drink the cup? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I will have? They say they are, but of course they don't understand the consequences. Later, when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, they're not so brave. And we read that all the disciples ran away. But Jesus for now says, yes, you may drink the cup, you may be baptized. So whilst James and John thinks that the cup and the baptism are blessings, Jesus knows that they mean sacrifice and death. And of course, James was later martyred by Herod, Herod Agrippa. And one source suggests John was also martyred. Now, this conversation between James and John and Jesus was in private. But later, it involves all of the disciples, as we've just heard. And when they understood what had been going on, you were, as you would imagine, they were pretty indignant too. But again, Jesus does not rebuke James and John. He rather uses the opportunity to explain more about the new kingdom and the service it implies. So in our world, the more important you are, the more you are served. In the new world, the more important you are, the more you serve. So his lesson to the disciples, his lesson to me, his lesson to us all is simply, if we're ever to win a place at his side in his glory, we must join with him in imitating his service and self-sacrifice. God's kingdom is very different to ours, and we know that from this passage and many others. It's an upside-down kingdom. The first shall be last, love your enemy, and so on. But this doesn't mean, and this is the critical issue, I think, for many Christians, this does not mean we belittle ourselves and let go ambition. Far from it. We need more ambition, I believe, but motivated by the right focus, which is love of God and others rather than ourselves. 
So I want to encourage us to have more ambition as individuals and more ambition as a church. Now, not like Madonna or Lance Armstrong, but that inner drive which can take us on in our personal and collective development and which strengthens the church. Now, like I'm sure many people here, I have many front lines because I do many different things. Some days I'm in the city and I'm trying to invest wisely because I have 40,000 pensioners who depend on my fund. Sometimes I'm in Canada, I am next week, because I work there on issues around climate change and particularly reducing carbon emissions. Um, ten days' time I'm in Jerusalem and we work there with the Garden Tomb, ministering to hundreds of thousands of visitors who come from all around the world. But Mike introduced me as chairman of Tear Fund, which I have the privilege to do. And of course, with them, my front line can be almost anywhere. So last week, well, actually 10 days ago now, I was in Iraq. Now, that's an interesting place to be. If we had an hour, I might tell you a bit about the problems there. Who's fighting who and why? The scale of the suffering, the immense upheaval, the challenges for the Christian church. And the one thing I could be absolutely sure about, I wouldn't have the faintest idea of how it's all going to be resolved. It is so complex, it is so horrible, it's way beyond my understanding. But you know what? It will be solved. We serve Almighty God, and he will solve that problem. I know for sure it won't be me who solves it. It doesn't work that way. What we're asked to do is to chip in our bit, to do what we can. And Anne and I have traveled to many countries with Tear Fund, and I think one of the things I will take to my grave is, don't worry about the world's problems. Worry about the person in front of you. Minister to them. We sang a lovely song earlier, and it said something like, I wrote it down, Lord, um, lead us in love to those around us. That's right, lead us in love to those around us. That's our job, and for that we should have huge ambition as individuals and as a church. Because we can transform any situation. Well, actually, God can transform any situation through us. Do you believe it? I believe it. Read Jeremiah. I have plans for you. God is there if we go. God yearns for us to be the best we can be fulfilling our potential, life in all its fullness. I can't tell you how over nearly 10 years now Tear Fund has changed me, but he will work with all of us through a lifetime to make us better, to realize what he can within us. Now, for a few people, that process will bring wealth, authority, and prestige. For some. For everybody, it will bring responsibility, dependence, and service. And for nobody will it bring power and status for its own sake. That's why we have to beware misplaced ambition in the kingdom. 
So I wonder where your front line is, whether it's at uh, university, whether it's at school, whether it's at home, whether it's at work. I just want you to know that I thank God for Christians, particularly those who are in positions of influence, who can bring God's word to the organizations and the places where they have been put. CEOs, doctors, head teachers, officials, or whatever. And indeed for anybody who brings Christ to their front line. We need for the Christian message to be proclaimed clearly in our land at every level. Now, in my past life as an executive, at one period, I ran Shell's global leadership development programs. Those were the activities by which we wanted to ensure that we would develop people of the right stature to run a huge multinational company. The biggest challenge I faced, and it's the same in Tierfund and it's the same everywhere I go, is persuading people that they've got the potential to grow. Because most people start off thinking, I'm just a pawn. Jesus' kingdom is not like man's, it's upside down. The first shall be last. It is the king who serves the least. The real answer to James and John's request was to come at Calvary. With perfect irony, the men who did occupy the positions at his left and at his right were robbers not on thrones at a banquet, but a cruel cross with nails. So look again at the picture. We all have to be a pawn to become a king. So very simply, let's all be more ambitious for Jesus and for the kingdom. One very ambitious man in history, who also achieved a great deal, was Sir Francis Drake. So if you just close your eyes for a moment, I would like to read you a poem he wrote. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we dream too little. When we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity, and in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wilder seas, where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push back the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. This we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ. Amen.
Now, we're just going to move into prayer ministry now. So if there are members of the ministry team, I'd love them to come up and join me here. Thank you. So this has been an unusual sermon. At least I hope it's been an unusual sermon. There's only one point, not three or four or five or six, just one. Be ambitious and be encouraged. It starts with prayer, as do most things. In prayer, we discern God's calling so that our small ambition and our small talents can be magnified in his spirit. So I wonder where your front line is and how tough it is to be yourself 